0: Hey, Quero's Cami here. Well, this episode of the show is a chat with Simon Kent Fung, who made the podcast Dear Alana. This is a really, you know, for me, um, I will say that his podcast deals with um, religious trauma, conversion therapy, and eventually um, somebody taking their own life. So it's something that I. Chose not to listen to before speaking to him, and I am really, really grateful for his patience in this conversation because that's an intense thing to say to somebody that I, you know, wanted to talk to you before consuming this work, but I did because I think for me specifically those are really um, intense topics. I love this conversation. This person is so thoughtful and. Immediately will I be listening to the Dear Alana podcast. So thank you so much for listening to this show. And if you want to continue to support the work that we do here, you can go to patreon.com slash I am looking for a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks more a month from my listeners to you know feel like, oh yay, that that's enough for now. So do you want to be one of the people that donates? Patreon.com slash Okay, I love you. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still on
1: darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless.
0: Hi, I uh, I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Um so my name is Simon Kent Fung, and I'm the uh, creator and writer of Dear Alana, which is a new podcast that's come out in the summer in August and it's about a young woman who um, well actually before we get into that I think I think yeah let me we'll know get into what else more you have yeah, like to But yeah you can start
0: by talking about you. Sure. Um and 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 don't worry, I'll give you some more space to talk about the about the show.
1: Yeah. So um I am uh, I grew up in Toronto and I um I'm currently in between San Francisco and Denver. Um, but up until about two years ago, I was working in tech, uh, as a design person. So I, I worked, uh, in startups and, and large tech companies, uh, as a design leader and, um, you know, have been sort of living my life and, uh, and really until a few years ago when I came across the story of this young woman was when things started to change for me and, um, wow. ended up leaving my, leaving my job and, wow. and, uh, wow. That, here we are today. Yeah.
0: Wow. And and here's what I also want to say. Um, so I, you know, we have been running ads on Query, which I really appreciate um, the fact that Tenderfoot, your Tenderfoot TV has wanted to get our listeners the info about this show. Cause I do think there's probably a lot of crossover, but what I will say is I knew you were going to be a guest because (laughs) I went through my producer Sierra, you know, it was pitched and I was like, Oh, I definitely want to talk to this person. Yeah. And I will say, I haven't listened to the show yet. And the reason I haven't listened to the show yet is because I wanted to talk to you first, because I feel a little scared about Mm. the subject matter. Yeah. And the reason I feel scared is because I've read these ads and I, um, I know what the show is about, and I know we're going to get into that in a second. And I think for me, somebody who grew up in a really religious family, and I have a lot of religious trauma around queerness. Yeah. I when I knew we booked you, I wanted to talk to you first, honestly, like to protect myself. And I also sure. thought that that might be helpful for our listeners because, you know, I I care about queer stories, and I, what you just said is so amazing that this story um, brought you truly like into an entirely new field. Um, and so I know it's important. And I, yeah, like I said, I mean, I felt like can I actually handle um listening to this, you know? And I so yeah, your you feeling compelled, enough compelled, compelled enough to move fields. Um, can you just talk to me? Like, can you just well do we'll do it in two parts. Can you yeah. very briefly summarize the show and then talk about like how you first encountered the story?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, first of all, I appreciate the, the, you know, consciousness and, and mindfulness that you're bringing to these subjects because they are heavy. And I think a lot of us have a lot of trauma around them. And so, yeah, I think, I think just to preface everything, um, the show D'Aralana does go into really deep and tender territory. And, um, so not, you know, not everybody. Uh, will be you know ready or at a point to to hear some of some of this material but um so so just want to give everyone some of that some of that um some of that preface before we get into it um but yeah, yeah. i just
0: also want to say i'm traveling tomorrow yeah to go to see my sister and so it mm-hmm. is something i plan to listen to right after talking to you and i feel like um yeah, so I just really yeah. thank you for like, I mean, one-to-one preparation. Like, yeah. how lucky am I? Because I really do care about the material you're putting out there, and I just felt like wow, I can't believe I can set this up for myself to make it like something that I can breathe through, you know.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's a great way of putting it. Um breathing through it. No, I mean, I'd say so to back up a little bit. Um as I mentioned, I you know, was living my life uh, fairly contentedly with, you know, my my work and my life in in San Francisco. And um, when I came across the story of this young woman from Boulder, Colorado, who had taken her life at the end of twenty nineteen, I remember I was sitting in a coffee shop and I just was frozen in my chair because the at least what was reported in the new in the news was so so familiar to me. So this was a young. A woman who um, was this very, very uh, kind of like all American, you know, well-rounded, uh, high-achieving young person, right? Who is like star of her ultimate frisbee team, you know, top student, but she was also really devout, um, and uh, since the age of fourteen, had had this dream of becoming a nun. And um, what we, what I learned in in some of the the reporting was that she had. Come out to her priest when she was 14 and was told to keep this detail about her life a secret um, from her family, which she did. Um, and um, through a number of uh, other religious leaders in her life, um, was, was guided towards conversion therapy, which she underwent. And um, you know, at least from the outlines of the story, that was, those were kind of the the facts that really stuck out to me. And, and she ended ended up taking her life at the end of 2019. As I mentioned, and I remember being in this coffee shop and just like frozen and snot crying because, and shaking because of how uh, close to home it was for me. Um, yeah. And I can talk a bit about yeah what those I, parallels I, I'd were. I'd love yeah. to
0: hear, you know, about, um, yeah, about about what feels so familiar to you about this story?
1: Yeah, so I, um, similar to at least what I'd know, read from about Alana, I, I was very a very devout young person um, and had this dream of also uh, entering religious life as a priest um, since I was a since I was a teenager. And um, but I, like Alana, had the secret and um, you know, around my sexual orientation, and um, I ended up. Uh, pursuing throughout my entire 20s uh, various forms of conversion therapy so one-on-one therapy group therapy um healing and prayer ministry um because i I know had re- really taken some of the Vatican guidelines very literally around um you know this this condition as they'd put it you know this part of me being something that would prohibit me from being a priest and so I really wanted to quote fix myself in order to, um, to be able to, to do that. And, and so those were some of the parallels and, and, and obviously I didn't know much more about the story, but I ended up taking some time and ended up writing, finding her mother on Facebook and writing to her uh, family just to introduce myself and share some of my background and offer just support purely. I was like, if you need anyone to talk about any of this with them, feel free to reach out. And about, a month later, actually no, several months later, um, Alana's mother, Joyce, and I connected by phone, and um, you know that began what would become I'd call you know a friendship now, where you know we would text and and talk regularly, and she had so much that she wanted to talk through and felt you know really isolated in trying to understand her daughter sort of after her death. Um, and so that 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 was you know that was 2020, and then COVID hit, and I was working in, in tech, and I um, just was feeling like a lot of us, a lot of the the pressure from that time I ended up ended up sort of burning out, and um, in that and, and I wanted to take a bit of a, a sabbatical, which is very cliche in 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 the tech world, but I ended up thinking you know I'd like to take a couple months off just to just to breathe a little bit. And um I remember this was two years ago now. Um it was in August of 2021. I was I was lying in bed awake. It was like 2 a.m. and I just Alana kept on haunting me. Like her story and um mm-hmm. her life um kept on mm-hmm. sort of knocking on my door and I had this idea to maybe explore more about what happened to her um know, through audio and um and that began the beginnings of this idea to, to to develop this podcast um and so you know that that was the beginning um and and you know fast forward a little bit uh just as a quick preview you know i think the journey of of making this um has really led me deeper into her life through her own writings and journals and um and i think reveal this really inner life that a lot of us may not be able to relate to or a lot of us will I think maybe from listeners in your podcast mm-hmm. will or around what it's like to be queer and and religious yeah
0: well so I want to just say you know I don't know how look <laughs> <laughs> you and I actually have a ton in common um, you know I was a theology major in college and when I was first understanding myself it was mm only from a place of negativity. Like I was in love with a woman and that was positive, but there was no like relief or joy or excitement or um, in my mind avenues for like positive expression around queerness. So I um, stayed closeted throughout college. Mm. Um, I was not in a hospitable place. Um, You know, my school was super uh, outspokenly uh anti-gay because it was catholic um which college did you go to and i went to boston college Mm. and so when i was there you could be kicked out of school for being gay Wow. although i never saw that happen that was the official policy um and this last year actually just a few months ago they gave me like a um they asked me like six months ago if i would come back to to school so that they could give me an award for the arts. They do like oh my an God. arts award ceremony. Yeah, yeah. And so I, um, I was I really thought it through, mm-hmm. and then um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I said yes, and I went and honestly kind of delivered like uh, a bit of a barn burner. Like I mean, it was like yeah, fiery, and I basically said like. Uh, fuck off i mean in a kind
1: way oh my god
0: like in a in a like jesus wouldn't have wanted this way because mm. i actually like i even during the pandemic i went back and took a bunch of master's level theology classes at a bunch of different universities because even during the pandemic i wasn't sure i had felt called to the priesthood as a young person yeah. although like in catholicism what was i even talking about <laughs> like i did not want to be a nun um, uh-huh. i wanted to be a priest uh-huh. um but yeah, I mean, it was, so I even revisited this very recently to be like, do I want to wow. um, get my MDiv yep. and be a stand-up comic who somehow is also, you know,
1: yes, <laughs> spiritual a spiritual person of faith. Yeah.
0: But what I uh, decided was that like, I feel so good about my relationship with, mm the things I grew up reading, like, I actually think, honestly, at this point, it's like, I think Christianity, like, like, love it. Like, so glad I write, I under, I so glad I've had the experience to like, you know, read the Bible or like be in that community. I do not think that Jesus was the literal son of God Uh who cares whether or not I sleep with my wife or, you know, I don't, I don't, and I'm just like, feel really at peace to like, have left that behind and there was something so i can't believe i got Mm. the opportunity to go back to this space right and be like you are wrong like nobody gets that opportunity um
1: wait so how did you how did you like say this nicely like what was what was the
0: i will like send you the speech oh my god because it's somewhere it like exists on youtube somewhere yeah um but i basically said you know when i was here i like here's who i was you know these. Thi- I mean, I was like kind of a model student there, like very yep. involved and all this stuff. Here's who I was. Also, I was queer. You rejected that part about me. This is not like if you're, you know, if you think you're, this is not, this has nothing to do with the Bible. This is anti-Christian. And like you are mm. doing active harm. Mm. You did active harm to me mm. and you're continuing to do active harm. And actually got wow. a standing ovation.
1: <laughs> oh my God.
0: <laughs> Which I was so nervous because uh, I thought, I don't know how this is going to go. Right. Um, right. But yeah, so this is why mm. I wanted to talk to you first because sure. I have like just recently cauterized this wound. Yeah. And I feel so much peace about it. Mm. Um, and just hearing you talk about this coffee shop moment, like I immediately had goosebumps and I just felt so much love for you because it was just so clear to me. I don't know, just the inflection of your voice, even as you were speaking. I, I feel the pain of, of feeling a calling that doesn't line up with, with no place, a calling that can't be placed anywhere. So painful.
1: Right. Right.
0: So maybe, maybe you oh could God. talk to me about that, like feeling this calling and then, and then yeah. What happened? I'm talking yeah. about the priesthood, oh my not God. the calling to make the podcast. We'll oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, so yeah, I would say like I, I was a very devout young person, a devout kid. And I think reflecting a lot on it in the last couple of years, a lot of that really came from a place of feeling um, isolated as a young, as a young kid I was bullied a lot um and didn't have any friends and and so it was very isolating just growing up and God and faith in the church offered f- to me this real place of like refuge and um and kind of like a friendship I would say you know friendship with God mm, was um, beautiful. and and I think that that was really my early experience of faith I didn't know any of the theology, I didn't know any of the technicalities that would come much later. But I think just that intuitive sense that, even though, you know, things weren't going so well at school, I was I was deeply loved, and and there was someone looking after me. Sort of that that sense was always there. Um, but I would say like the the field the calling of the priesthood also came pretty early. I would say as a as a young person, I remember drawing pictures of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And one of them was like me and my grandma at church and I was like a priest, you know, and and, and I don't even know where this idea came from. It wasn't something that um, my parents particularly encouraged. They weren't very devout. Like we would go to Sunday mass occasionally. My mom wasn't Catholic growing, Catholic growing up. And so um, it was mainly my, my father who tried his best to bring us to church, um, but, You know, I think we were sort of an average kind of Catholic family doing our best. Um, But um, it wasn't until sort of late high school, early college that I had kind of a faith crisis where I was like, I really want to know what it's like, or I really want to know what the the truth is. Like, I really want to know, like, what faith is the right one that I should, you know, believe in that you know that, that the one that really encapsulates god and and so i kind of went on this search and started to explore other um religions other denominations and um and in that period in college early college was when i kind of happened upon um this branch of christian and in this case catholic um teaching which is called you know apologetics and and that's really when i learned about sort of the argumentation around why, in this case, Catholicism is right, you know, and why it's this sort of truthful, true religion oh, and wow. um, and became really enamored by a lot of this content that I had never grown up reading around. Mm. Like, you know, here's here are the arguments for the existence of God and here's why mm. the church is authoritative in these ways and why, you know, other denominations don't have the fullness of truth, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that's really where I became in some ways like radicalized and it really coincided with kind of, I think, looking back, a sense of teenage rebellion. Like there was a sense mm-hmm. that like, you know, everyone around me was like partying and like having this like um, fun time. And, and I like wanted to rebel against that by, you know, taking this quote unquote ca- counter-cultural approach to, you know, uh, becoming more, serious about my faith. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was in that period that I met um, several priests who um, I became very close with who who ended up offering and giving me spiritual direction, which is kind of like a spiritual or religious coaching is probably the best way of describing it. It's when you meet like usually weekly with either a priest or a nun to uh, kind of talk about the spiritual life and prayer and what God is doing in your life and where, where he might be calling you. Um, and in, and through, through those conversations was feeling more and more deeply this calling to serve God through the church, you know, serve, serve God through the priesthood in in the church. And, and Mm. that, um, sort of maybe childhood, uh, desire became more and more, um, inflamed. And that, that was the beginning of me starting to evaluate, all right, how am I going to actually do this? Like, what are the practicalities of doing this? And that's what led to the next thing. Yeah.
0: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
1: Just one more week till max fun drive.
0: (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one.
1: We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check.
0: What? Hang on. So, in Catholicism, conversion therapy is relatively unusual, at least in my experience. Like, there isn't, it's not, uh, I associate that more with, um, Different, <laughs> different different Christian, Christian denominations. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I am curious about how that paired with the time frame that you're talking about, because it's not something I've heard of for many people.
1: Yeah. So I think when a lot of people think about conversion therapy, they uh, a lot of us in the last probably in the last 20 years have gotten to see it through like television and movies and i think they've done a good job at capturing a certain kind of conversion therapy which is usually um highly religious um you know maybe very coercive a little dramatic you know maybe there's a preacher kind of like yelling at you or or doing something um a little bit more um yeah, a little bit more. You know, there are there are examples of like people undergoing shock therapy and and even historically lobotomies to try to quote unquote cure this. Right. But um, but the kind of conversion therapy that I experienced and that I think was really pioneered by a lot of uh, Catholic thinkers is actually uh, kind of this. It really took off in the. Um, in the period, probably beginning in, in the sixties and seventies. And, um, and it was inspired by Freud and what a lot of these thinkers, many of whom were Catholic, um, took from his psycho, psychoanalytic theory was this idea of uh, childhood trauma and that being kind of the root of so much of how we as adults see the world today. Um, and so, um and i would go into this into in the, in the in the podcast but essentially a lot of um theory has been developed to uh create these origin stories around why people might be gay or lesbian and um and so a lot of the psychotherapeutic practices and and approaches that have developed uh, and codified through organizations that have um, emerged throughout the last 40 years um, really have, have not built on a lot of these theories. And I can talk a little bit more what that looked like in my setting, but my therapist is sort of a descendant of that. Um, he was sort of the main trusted conservative Catholic therapist in the tri-state area. And he um, counseled a lot of folks with this quote unquote same sex attraction. And, and that was the uh, that was kind of the, the area that I experienced conversion therapy and, and that Alana also did.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, again, I don't know if this is, this is like anecdotal or impression based, but I also, I had, you know, because of the school I went to, which also has, um, like, like Jesuits live and nuns live there Mm -hmm. who are like, there are folks who are, um, like acolytes, there, there are folks who are in their training process who literally live on campus and right. who live, but like in a sort of a rectory setting, like not in, they're not part of the student body. They're sort of um, for, like a, in a training center <laughs> sort right. of a vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what I will say specifically about the priesthood based on like folks I knew who were being, um, I almost want to say like courted in that direction is that like... It is a bit of a closed system. Like folks who are mm. who are pursuing that are in my experience treated differently than like just your your regular like mass going Catholic. Because these are folks yes. who are like that the priests and nuns themselves are are uh recruiting, They're recruiting. in a different way. That's a great word. Yeah. So yeah. 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 So the you know, what I experienced was sort of like seeing like favor. Yes. And, I mean, also, Jesuits actually don't take a vow of poverty.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So they're, they're, uh, <laughs> so like not only were people being courted, but like I knew a Jesuit who drove an Audi uh-huh. convertible, uh-huh. you know, who had like a really nice home in a, in a, um, super fancy and actually gay area of Boston. Um, Uh And so like these books are, you know, there was an, it was just like an interesting vibe around like, so I don't know if that also couples with, what you're talking about in terms of like folks giving you access and like support and even yeah. referring you to this therapist and like the kinds of conversations you were talking about that like one-on-one sort of spiritual counseling or spiritual or, direction um, a small group spiritual 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 counseling like yeah. that to me sounds very um you're being recruited
1: absolutely <laughs> so, yeah that's exactly like what i don't think other
0: people have access to that that's like a different you're like on a different track
1: yeah very much a different track um very much a a, a special place and i think that's really also what um what felt so positive about that kind of uh, direction was like i felt so special right like it it was like this idea that um first of all there's like a small minority of young devout catholic men who feel called at all to joining the priesthood and and the same thing with women and so um you know a lot of these communities a lot of the diocesan priesthood which is the kind of the 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 categorization they work of, for a city they work for yeah. the city they um they are always on the lookout for recruits because the priesthood is shrinking and um and so i think like to find you know for them to find a young person who from their perspective was relatively well adjusted and um felt this calling was was always was was a good thing and so they invested in me right so they um they did. We would meet with me weekly. Um, I, they came over to my family's house for dinner. Like it was a, it became a thing that, you know, in some sense it felt like a recruitment. But I, in a way, I knew I was being recruited. I was willingly yeah. putting myself in that position, right. and I felt like this was my calling. And so, um, I kind of let that process unfold. Um, but to right. your earlier point about just how, a lot of this sits in the context of, American Catholicism today. I think Boston College is probably um not as exposed to the, a lot of this um uh, a lot of this therapy and a lot of these practices in part because you know since the second vatican council which is that big you know mega church council that happened um like for roughly 40 years ago now um yeah. 50 years ago now uh that really uh was trying to reposition the church uh as it vis-a-vis like modernity like that 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 was a big rupture in i think american catholic well in catholicism globally where um we're still really recovering from that period where there uh people really kind of started taking sides around um you know how uh, what is the direction of the church and and unfortunately in this country that also coincided with a lot of political culture war narratives uh that kind of almost in some sense hijacked the internal discussion that was happening within the American Catholic Church. And so because of that, you had some very decidedly and staunchly conservative dioceses in this country emerging in bishops. And, and it sort of out of those um, out of that, that environment and out of that, that uh, soil came um, came the sort of welcoming of a lot of these practices into these spaces.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, I was raised in Chicago under um, a fairly, like, I don't know, like, at least, like, love-centered. Cardinal Bernadine was, Bernadine, like, the yes. cardinal. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so there was, a, it was a little bit progressive compared to what you're talking about. And then when I went to Boston, um, it was—what's his name? Um, he was—his he his main job
1: cardinal O'Malley. <laughs> was that
0: he was— Yes. Uh-huh. His main job is that he was, um, hiding church sex abuse. So he was like a little tied up in that being his like main task. Um, because he was, it was like during the time of like all the spotlight.
1: Yes. Yes. That was stories. Huge. So anyway, yeah. my point
0: is he mm-hmm.
1: was, <laughs> his, he had his, his focus he was, was like
0: yeah. very specifically on like shipping priests off to Rome and like hiding them at other parishes. So like, I think he was moderately, um, yeah. focused on that. But yeah, um, I want to get back to the podcast. I want to get back sure. to you know, sort of where you are now. Um, I think yes, this, maybe this is not the right wording. But like, <laughs> how it. did you escape? That is maybe not the right wording. yeah. But even your own mind mm-hmm. and some yeah you know, indoctrinated self-rejection, self-hatred, whatever the right word is.
1: Yeah, I know, I mean, this is this is like this has been uh, you know, now almost two decade kind of process, right? Of really um really like going deep into this brand of catholicism that that I, you know, that unfortunately Alana also found herself in, but um I have to say first at the outset, one of my one of my goals in in sharing the story both my own and Alana's is to really help folks also outside of these kind of religious spaces empathize with why like young people feel drawn to them. I think I think that's one of the
0: Yes. you know. Yes, actually I yeah, want to just pause for, here for a second because you said something earlier that I didn't address, mm-hmm. which is that it made you feel a sense of belonging. Yeah. And so when I think about religious traditions, and I honestly would also put um the Harry Potter franchise in that <laughs> because it's I actually consider that to be like uh, it was like attempting to fulfill the space of a mystical or religious tradition for a mm. lot of folks, like for for children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like for me, you know, people as religion, as like organized religion was declining particip- as participation in an organized religion was declining in the U.S. Like those books were emerging, and I think those are it's another example of something that made kids feel so connected yeah. to like a greater purpose. I mean, you know whether it's like Voldemort or, uh, you know, the devil or whatever it is, or sin on earth, like the idea that we have a purpose to like band together and like fight for survival, like that, all of those things, anything that talks about that specifically draws queer kids. Mm. We're specifically drawn to that. It is set up to open the door to somebody who feels like i don't know what to do with these feelings they have to be bigger than me where do i put this i'm an oddball at school it also it's like draws queer kids it draws you know homosexual folks it draws like bi pan it also draws fucking trans folks absolutely and so to put folks in that position where you are intellectually spiritually courting them and then slam the door is so specifically fucked like it's not like it's like if you if you weren't preaching so much acceptance and so much like you're special just the way you are it wouldn't be so appealing to the oddball kid
1: absolutely i do think that there's something inherent in a lot of these narratives you know a lot of religious narratives and and parreligious narratives around that uh, that that are so appealing to outsiders, right? Like I think we feel, we you know we feel so isolated and alone, and and to to ha- to encounter something where the outsider or the 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 kid who you would not expect would you know, or the the, yeah. the person the, the protagonist who you would not expect to actually. Um, Kind of "quote unquote" win in the end is is such a. I think we can all relate to that. I think we we've all whether or not we're yeah, queer enough, right? A, yeah.
0: Jesus was a pariah.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Except
0: for to his group of small, for to his small group of friends,
1: right? Who also kind of abandoned him at the end, right? Like there were yeah. there was a lot of that happening too. Yeah. So I think I think yeah I think a lot of I remember as a young child like just feeling drawn to some of those passages and stories where. You know, even like Saint Paul talks about how just just being that outsider and how you know the sort of the the inversion of like if I'm small then I'm big and if I'm you know if I'm like yeah an yep. insider then you're an outsider then I'm an insider like there's all these like interesting um, yeah just interesting themes I think attract a lot of us and so I think yeah myself as a young person was very much drawn and found took comfort in this and as you said I think what um what i didn't know i was walking into was um i think some this attempt to you know at this on the one on the one hand you know sharing this news about unconditional love and acceptance and on the other hand encountering really practically that it it was conditional and i think that that kind of dichotomy of like or cognitive dissonance of hearing them say, "But we are accepting of you, just not these parts which we can, you know, which you can change and and quote unquote okay. heal from, <laughs> right?" Like that was like the the uh-huh. to me the thing that I was uh, on the path towards. Like I, I really really drank that and 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 believed that and felt felt like okay, this was in my best interest, and so I trusted that. And I think right. I think Alana did too. And and um, and so in terms of like how things ended up changing for me, it really was like I'd mentioned, I'd spent most of my twenties doing this. It wasn't until I was like 31, 32 that I was like, okay, this isn't working, (laughs) but, but it it really took me really exhausting all avenues. I think um, what's so tragic about um, the story that I tell in, in, in Dear Alana is that um, we kind of did, did everything that was, that we did everything that we were good. We were the good kids, right? Right. Like we, we did all the things that we were told would, would get us to where we needed to be. Um, and I think unfortunately for me, it it took, well, for, for, for Alana, it took a, a tragic turn. For me, it was coming to a point where I just, just on a practical level was, was, not finding any change in my sexual orientation, and 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 which was what I'd been hoping for, um, and feeling I, I was very much stuck. Like you'd said, having a sense of a calling but no no way to express that, no place to live that out. Um, that just felt uh, very very challenging. And I and I I think like what a lot of folks who are queer and who pursue this, and again, that's also one of the unique things about the story is that both Alana and myself pursued these kinds of therapeutic approaches um sort of like on our own like we we kind of nobody nobody you know our parents weren't in alana's case her parents weren't even aware she was doing this right so it wasn't like um at some level you can argue we were set up to choose this but but i think we deeply felt a sense of like agency around okay this is something i i want to pursue um but i think what ends up happening with a lot of folks who encounter this is that we experience what I call kind of a, a triple level of shame, right? So you you kind of start. I start. You start out with this sense of there's already sh- shame that's sort of built into being queer, and that we we generally a lot of us grow up experiencing in some way. Um, then then we in the in front of these conversion therapy uh, practices and theories um, take on the shame of like feeling like something horrible has happened to us that caused this right like whether that was a bad relationship with our father or mother or you know being bullied or whatever um and then finally this is the this is the clincher you know the shame when it doesn't work and this this therapy doesn't work and it's just this feeling like that i am so broken that this thing that is supposed to help me isn't even working for me like how damaged must i must i be how far from God and, you know, myself must I be to not even be able to um, get to where these therapies are promising me. And so I think really that triple level of shame um, drives a lot of people to despair. And and this is why I think a lot of people, the statistics are out there around folks who've experienced conversion therapy are uh, twice as likely to to attempt suicide um, than LGB individuals who who haven't experienced conversion therapy. So this is one of the things that I'm hoping, you know, listeners will be able to see sort of firsthand how this shame emerges and how it, how it takes on how it stacks, you know?
0: Yeah. I really hear you. Um, you know, I guess I'll say that I really think my experience of self, um, I just I know so many people who were raised um I know so many queer people who were like raised without uh belonging to a specific faith mm. and a specific faith that was anti gay. Um and you know like okay that a you know weird conversation with their parents or like culture is against them or you know just you know there's sure. a f- whole or it's like challenging. especially yeah. in the you know especially in the case of like a trans woman who is black like there is a whole you know things are stacked absolutely against this person right yeah but the thing i will say about this specific thing is that my experience has been that folks who weren't raised the way i was don't understand necessarily like the um the like bondage of self the like Mm. uh how hard I had to fight and folks raised in those communities have to fight to just um get to like a minimal place of self-understanding and the reason i say mm-hmm. that is not to say like we have it the worst but more so actually to say that like i feel and i've said this on the podcast before but like i feel that in the modern era of like news and info about queer folks it's like we're talking about you know legislation in florida or we're talking about progress like there's like okay they're trying to you know harm kids by restricting access to books um which does harm kids or look at how far we've come and i think there's like a middle thing that i often identify as missing which is that like Mm. kids who are raised in these religious traditions are still being left behind it's like not news we don't talk about it yeah these folks are not necessarily experiencing any progress like when i went back to bc to give this speech i had asked a bunch of young people that are students there recently graduated like has this changed the policy had changed, but the experience hadn't changed very much. And that's right. now—that's <laughs> right. current day. Um, so this is, you know, it's part of why I want to have you on the show. It's part yeah. of why I'm going to listen, and it's also just part of something I want to talk to you about, which is like just how important I think these stories are because we have, you know, and in, in your—I mean—your story is so inspiring, having the depth of your commitment and yeah, you know, devotion and exp- exploration of the priesthood um yeah there's still kids in that situation yeah people in that situation
1: yeah i think i think what we often what's often overlooked and and winds up happening is that a lot of queer folks in religious spaces and that's it's a lot of a lot of people um end up like end up leaving those spaces and so who remains is often kind of this uh there's a bit of a s- self-selection bias right where a lot of folks right. who end up leaving aren't able to share and transmit their experience back into those communities and right. like be like, hey, this is how this affected me. And this was, you know, I know all of the theology. I know what the church teaches, but here's how it actually impacts me. And I think what's unique about, you know, Alana's story is that she was somebody who wanted to remain in that space and in that community, um, you know, unfortunately things didn't quite work out that way but I think that remaining in those spaces when you when you when you are queer and when you have this sort of different experience um, is really really hard and it, it I don't think you know a lot of a lot of faith communities are much are, are you know are making an effort to be welcoming and 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 listen and learn but a lot of other communities are feeling very threatened. And so they are not really in a position to receive these students, or they they have like a kind of um, playbook that they're they're using that somebody gave them that they may not be aware is having this impact. Again, because that feedback loop is not happening um, within these religious spaces. And so I think really what I want to do with this project is also help people, um, help listeners who are you know very much in these religious conservative religious spaces to um, hear from folks who. You know who were under their care, and um, not in an antagonistic way, but in an honest way to really, um, because I think that's that's what's been missing, and and so we're kind of talking over each other, and we are throwing stones from our various political you know quarters, but um, but the actual dialogue isn't happening, and and I'm really hopeful that that can begin to happen um, as people learn about again that real life experience of folks who are caught in the middle.
0: And the thing that I often think about with like my stand-up or, you know, whatever this podcast, whatever it is, is um, it is odd to have an identity that is a lived experience and that for somebody else is a social and political issue. That for right. somebody else is something they have an opinion about, uh-huh. like a religious community having an opinion or teachings and me having... I'm in, it's I'm in life. the side, I'm inside of a thing. Yeah. And so when I think about it, I think about just like the false equivalency of those two things. Like mm-hmm. somebody is, is commenting and somebody is living. And so I completely agree with you. You know, it's like, this is why this pod, like this is why your project is so important because we're talking about, it's not, it's not a, like, this is something where it's like, it you know, we debate this right at, on a president at presidential debates, there's, it's nothing to, I always think, I always feel like it's like a false premise. It's like, okay, get somebody who has an opinion and then actually stack them against somebody who has that lived experience. That's, that's, (laughs) that's the, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Exactly. That's interesting. That's, that's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I want to, I want to be like really respectful of your time. I feel like I could talk to you for about nine more hours. I hope we connect after this because I'm super interested in, you know, hearing more about like just how you navigate your life today. Yeah, Um, totally. But I, Mm -hmm. I feel ready to, do you want to listen to this project? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to add um, about, you know, for folks who, yeah, who want to, yeah who want to hear more about you, more about the story? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I think we we talked a bit about some of the background and motivations. Um, I, I think one of the things I want to invite listeners into is um, this story. You know, Alana's vulnerability that she expresses, um, and that you know her family was was graciously willing to invite me into. I think is a real is a real gift. Into, I think at a basic level, it's 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 kind of a coming of age story. I think we've we've all we all kind of struggle growing up, and and adolescence is really rocky and challenging. And um, and to be able to hear the inner life of a of a person who's who has this very unique experience, but is it you know is expressing it so honestly and openly, I think will be very um, resonant with a lot of folks, and um, and as I mentioned, I think that my 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 goal here really is to uh, tell a truthful, you know, narratively honest story about um, what it's like to have some of these experiences, and um, and yeah, invite folks who who are either religious or not religious to develop a little bit more empathy for those. Who I mentioned, like I said, are, are kind of caught in the middle. And um, and I think that's really, yeah, just kind of an important uh yeah, just kind of one of the goals. And and I hope hope that yeah folks can can listen with an open heart and open mind. Um but yeah, if 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 you have more questions, happy to chat more. Um <laughs> you can you can always learn more at you know the website, dearalana.com. Um, we have many resources there as well for folks who um, yeah, who are, are wrestling with some of these questions around, um, you know, some of these practices recovering from, recovering from spiritual trauma and, and conversion therapy. Um, and yeah, just to, just to let folks know that um, there are, there are other alternatives and other, other ways to face um, some of these challenges of, of trying to belong. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, I really appreciate uh, everything you're saying. I, you know, deliberately didn't want to get fully in the story because I think this is a great moment to then refer folks to listen, you know, to, to do the crossover and listen to this work that you made. Um, and I also just, you know, I feel it's really important around this to, yeah, to ask about motivations and personal experience. So I really, I thank you for everything that you shared and it's wild because like, (laughs) you know. Maybe I'm not the, but you know, for you're doing the thing, right? Like the thing that you set out to do, which is yeah, unite people and speak about what's important and provide support and re, like that to me, that's the priesthood. It's, you know, devotion oh, wow. and care. And, oh my God. Um, Never
1: even thought of that. You know, that's community nuts. And, wow. Yeah.
0: I mean, and then look at your, you know, congregation, which is like, any folks who might listen i mean you, you've you did it you did it oh yeah. my
1: god i just got chills uh <laughs> that is a that's a big thought thank you for sharing that yeah i i uh i still feel yeah feel like i have a lot of questions in that area but but thanks for reflecting on that i never thought of it that way um yeah Thank you.
0: Yeah, I mean that's. I guess that's how I view myself, and I can see mm. it. I don't know. I, it's like it's. I have to remind myself that all that training wasn't for naught, You know. Yeah. Like I use it. Yeah. Um. And and I can really. I mean, you're you're like speaking with such care, compassion, and and love, and like, that's the best of the priesthood. So. Mm. Good job. Where, <laughs> you fucking did it, man.
1: <laughs> where so what, what ended up? What ended up happening to your your theological like education like do you want to oh, keep yeah. doing for that asking yeah
0: you know i what was kind of cool about the exploration and it's related to what i just said is that i felt like oh my god i still think this is so interesting because what i care about the most in the world like what has always motivated me is like what is the collective experience mm. what is the collective wisdom because when i look at spiritual teaching i just find that like um Like that's what's really beautiful to me about it is that it's group thought like it's it's humans coming together and coming up with something that makes sense to make to understand the world yeah and so i felt like when i went back into it i was like oh i have this experience right now in my life like the communities i'm a part of the job Mm. that i chose like i am getting this and so like sure i mean literally you know that was there was 20 years before college and grad school. And I left it for a minute, 20 years from now, maybe I'll go back to it. I don't know. Sure. But it just felt like it was this amazing sense of peace, where I felt like, wow, um, oh, wow, I I just felt like the true gift of being Like, I just didn't feel like I was outside of those communities, even if they feel I was outside of those communities. Does that make sense? Damn. Yes. Yes. I was like, I have this all set and, you know. Yeah. Doesn't mean that, like, you know, I would love to feel the way I used to feel in church Mm. when I was, like, Mm. really deeply committed and, like, on my knees and going to daily mass. Like, I would love to feel that way. Yeah. But, um. I think that that was maybe Mm. something i'll just have to work a little harder for
1: yeah and and it's almost like you're discovering the you know the divine or the mystery or you know god in some senses outside of that conventional structure has really given you new insights that you wouldn't otherwise have had and 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 I think are probably going to be really enriching for the church at large. Right. Like, I think that's one of the, like the, one of the things that I wrestled with is just, yeah, like, I mean, I'm still a practicing Catholic, but it looks a lot different, as you'd mentioned, than the, than the way it, it was, I was you know, practicing it before. Um, as far as, you know, it's no longer daily mass, it's weekly mass, but, um, for me at <laughs> least, but, um, but I do think that, uh, yeah, I do think that there's something, um, yeah, that, that we bring to the table that, that if folks are are interested and curious about can, you know, with, you know, within the conventional church, uh, today can, can learn from. And, and also, yeah, we are, I guess it's like, we're, 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 it's still, it's still a part of our identity. So Yeah. That's right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Like I don't consider myself a practicing Catholic, but I do consider myself a small C Christian Uh and that is so fucking cool. Like I just, I'm like, Oh, I like this, um, philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I've loved talking to you. And the last thing I want to ask you is, um, to shout out a queero, which is a person, place or thing Hmm. that made you feel you could be who you are today.
1: Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is kind of, uh, so there were a couple of musical artists that really resonated with me as I, you know, in the last decade. Um, and one that I know a lot of folks are a big fan of, and I sort of discovered, you know, roughly, roughly 10 years ago was, was Brandi Carlisle. And I think her life, oh, you know, and she she speaks about how she also in her youth was was thinking of becoming a minister and a preacher and and i think um her ability to find integration in those ways has been yeah just deeply reflective in her in her music and um and so i i think that's been an incredible incredibly important soundtrack to my life in the last last 10 years oh that's
0: beautiful yeah yeah well, yeah. she is a preacher, right? <laughs> yeah, She is. She is. Um, okay, well, Amazing. I am going to download so that I can listen on airplane mode. And um, I really thank <laughs> you for making this work. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to um, learn more about you, but also to, you know, revisit some of these um, these things that are no longer in my daily life, but that are a huge part of me.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk and and I look forward to hearing what you I can't think. wait. Yeah. <laughs> Maximum fun. A worker-owned network of artists-owned shows supported directly by you.